You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 101. Well, welcome back, Curd Nerds. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheesemaking at home. A very interesting week this week. Uh, I have finished two cheeses. I did Charousse, or Charousse. Let's see how the French pronounce it. Let's have a look. We'll go to uh, Google... Um, Google Translate, shall we? I have never been able to translate things properly. So let's see. Let's have a look. Charousse. All right, let's, uh, let's, what's that sound like? Charousse. Charousse. Oh, goodness me. I wish I could get these cheese names right, you know. But seeing English is my only language, uh, there's not much chance of that. I try my best. Anyway, I made Charousse and I also made Scamorza. And if you are keen of eye on the video podcast, you may be able to see a Scamorza somewhere in the studio. Very exciting stuff. Anyway, uh, the Charousse video is already out. Uh, if you pop over to the main channel, uh, Gavin Weber, and you will see that. Go and check it out. It's doing quite well. So I think a lot of people appreciate a nice lactic set white mould cheese. Uh, as far as the Scamorza video goes, which is basically a ripened mozzarella, it will be released this week. So watch for that if you catch the podcast episode before the video is released, of course. Anyway, I've got a very interesting story. And the story was sent to me, and I can't remember, and I can't find... Uh, the person who sent it to me but thank you so much so this week's podcast episode we're going to cover the topic of the nottingham cheese riot and a funny topic funny thing it's a it's a moment in history uh it's also known as the great cheese riot and it started in uh in 1766 my goodness so the reason there was the great cheese riot was that at the time uh, food shortages and rising prices uh, were prevalent in england and violence broke out when the citizens of nottingham uh, protested against rich merchants taking away their cheese here's some of the background and this is straight from Wikipedia, and uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes for those of you who want to go and read the full story. So basically, uh, there was a market in Nottingham. In 1766, there was a bad harvest and uh, fears of impending food shortages. Uh, and in that year's fair, uh, a fair is a get-together of merchants, 
which began on October 2nd, uh, we saw, we, well not me, uh, there was a larger than usual quantity of cheese for sale, but at highly inflated prices. There were record prices of 28 to 36 shillings, which is roughly 140 to 180 pounds uh, in modern dollars uh, per 51 kilos of cheese, which was twice the recorded price in a market at Coventry uh, just in the same week. Uh, as a result of the shortages, people across the country were anxious to keep foodstuffs in their local area. Uh, there were instances of merchants being overpowered and forced to sell their goods at pre-shortage rates. The riot itself uh, broke out on the 2nd after some Lincolnshire merchants purchased a large quantity of cheese uh, with the intention of selling it in their county. They were surrounded by a group of rude lads who demanded that they not take the cheese away and instead share it out in Nottingham. Violence broke out and there was widespread looting of cheese. Shop windows were broken and hundreds of cheese wheels were thrown and rolled down the streets. The mayor of Nottingham attempted to restore order but was knocked over by a rolling wheel of cheese. My goodness. Uh, some locals armed themselves and set up roadblocks in the city streets to prevent merchants from carrying away the cheeses. Uh, a boat near Trent Bridge was seized and its cargo of cheese was looted, despite its owner offering to pay the crowd or to sell his wares at a low cost. One warehouse was attacked and though its defenders eventually drove the crowd off with firearms, some of the cheese was taken. The warehouse owner organised a mounted posse to track down the cheese, which had been taken to Castle Donington, which is a market town. Uh, the local magistrate refused to sign search warrants for houses in the village so the posse instead detained several citizens on suspicion of rioting and beat the gates of the magistrate's house demanding justice. The posse was driven away by a mob of women and children throwing stones and withdrew the cheese lost. <laughs> In Nottingham, the authorities called for military support to help restore peace. Nottingham at the time was a garrison town and the 15th Dragoons, along with a militia, infantry and cavalry, were deployed. Things are getting serious. Some shots were fired into the crowd, causing injuries and the death of one man. That's no good. Will William Eggleston, who was standing near a pile of cheese. Eggleston was a farmer and appears he was killed whilst protecting his own wares, having been mistaken for a looter. Several people were detained and brought before magistrates in private residence, but were freed after the house was attacked by the mob, smashed windows to gain access. The unrest continued overnight. Uh, there is an aftermath, apparently. Violence continued in Nottingham for several days until the military restored order. For a while, wagons carrying cheese formed into convoys 
and provided with an armed escort. The local newspaper, the Leicester and Nottingham Journal, accused the rioters of having caused a cheese shortage in the city. There were other riots in England in late 1766 caused by food shortages and increasing food prices. The disorder was particularly severe in Devon and Cornwall, but there were also serious outbreaks in Gloucester, Bristol, Derby, Birmingham and Norwich, the southeast, which was largely peaceful. There you go. So that 257 years ago, the Great Cheese Riot occurred in Nottingham. Well, I'll be blowed. That's amazing. And the cheese they were rioting over, apparently, was something like Red Leicester. That was the style of cheese that was made uh, during the day. So, we've got some questions this week, as always. Uh, Let's have a listen to the first one. Hi, Gavin. It's Cameron here from Castlemaine, Victoria. I've got a question today about the quantities of freeze-dried cultures um, asked for in cheese-making recipes. I'm nearly out of some of the cultures that I've ordered through Little Green Workshops, and I was thinking that I haven't even nearly inoculated 250 litres of milk or 100 litres of milk. So I'm wondering whether I can get away with using a lower dosage of these cultures Or has anyone experimented with this? Your recipes from your channel work perfectly. And so is the dosage, a higher dosage compared to what the manufacturer is saying, is that helpful in the recipes? Love to hear your views on this. Thanks very much and thanks for the inspirational work. Bye. Well, thanks, Cameron. Appreciate the uh, voicemail. Uh, and don't forget that you can also send a voicemail into the podcast. The link is in the description uh, or the show notes down below. Now, to answer Cameron's question, yes, there are varying strengths of culture depending on the manufacturer. So, for instance, uh, a lot of the cultures that we sell here at Little Green Workshops, which is the company that Kim and I own, my wife and I, they are very strong. So you'll find that usually the sachets that we send out are labelled as being for 100 litres of milk. So if you divide the uh, the contents of the sachet into tenths, you'll find that this, the Sacco culture that we, that we sell, the main, main culture we sell, probably only needs about one sixteenth of a teaspoon uh, for 10 litres of milk. And that'd be even less for, say, four or five litres of milk. It'd be about one thirty-second of a teaspoon. So a lot smaller than most recipes call for. Now, Sacco, that brand of cultures, is from Italy. Uh, and they very minimalistic and the culture strength is very strong. However, if you look at other cultures like Denisco Choose It, which is from France, uh, for instance, uh, there is a lot of lot more filler in the packet of those. So 
usually it'll say about an eighth of a teaspoon per 10 litres of milk and you could you can divide uh, the contents of that sachet into about uh, 10 one-eighths of a teaspoon does that make sense i hope it does so yes so the manufacturer uh, the contents of the sachet are for the amount of milk they put on the label so yes they do come in varying strengths yes the sacco cultures are a lot stronger uh, so you need to use a lot less uh, to inoculate your milk so cameron i hope that helps yes i have done experiments the reason that i put those higher versions in so the higher amounts of culture into uh, the recipes or some of the recipes that i use are because not everybody gets their hands on sacco culture and you really can't overdose uh, with those direct vat inoculated cultures so there's no real harm in doing that uh, you can underdose and not have a viable enough colony of bacteria lactic bacteria to uh, inoculate your milk but uh, over is not so much of an issue so look you can stick with the quantities in my recipes yeah you can do that or you can go by uh, what the manufacturer says and divide it up into smaller lots if you wish. So hopefully that answers your question, Cameron. And the next question, number two. Hi, Gavin. This is Doru from uh, Toronto, Canada. I have a question. Uh, the Bel Paese, if I do just half of the recipe, uh, do I have everything, all the culture, rennet and everything else? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Doru. Uh, yes, the answer is uh, if you halve the milk, you halve the, same, the amount of cultures, the rennet and the calcium chloride. Uh, the milk is the base that you... Ba it's it's the, the index that you base all the other calculations on. So yes, if you reduce the milk, then reduce all the other ingredients, including the salt. The only thing in the recipes that you don't reduce are the timings. The temperatures all stay the, stay the same. The timings stay the same. The pressures stay the same. Yeah, and maturation's probably a little bit shorter. Depends on what you've done with the recipe. So if you've halved the recipe, then the cheese will mature in half the time. The bigger the cheese, the longer it's going to take to mature. So hopefully that helps. Uh, and thanks for your question. Really appreciate it. And uh, next question, number three. Hi, Gavin. It's Julie from England. I'd just like to ask you, what would happen if I overmeasured the rennet or lipase or the cultures? Would that totally spoil the milk? Example, if I was to use half a teaspoon as opposed to using a quarter of a teaspoon. Hope you understand what I mean. Good luck with all the videos. Love them over in England. Bye. Well, thanks, Julie. Appreciate that question. Uh, yes, so let's talk about the ingredients and if you put too much of them in. So if you put too much rennet into your milk, uh, what happens is the final cheese will become much drier because when you cut the curds, 
they are much firmer and they will hold their way a lot more. And when the curds hold too much whey and don't expel the whey like it's supposed to during the process of the recipe, the cheese becomes acidic because the whey continues to acidify. What happens is you get a dry and crumbly cheese uh, and you can uh, find some bitterness in the final cheese as well. Same goes for calcium chloride. If you've ever tasted the calcium chloride solution it's quite bitter uh, if you had doubled that uh, when the recipe says you know not to then you'll find that your final cheese will also be quite bitter as far as cultures go uh, refer back to uh, I think it was question number one uh, when we talked about uh, too much culture Definitely, if it calls for, say, a quarter of a teaspoon and you put half a teaspoon, that is quite excessive. Um, however, if you've gone from, say, an eighth of a teaspoon to a quarter of a teaspoon, that's not so bad. Uh, even though you're doubling it, but the quantities are a lot more when you go from quarter to a half or even half to a teaspoon. That's quite a lot. Uh, and what you'll find also, same thing by adding more rennet, uh, when you add more starter culture than is necessary, you'll find the cheese is very strong and very crumbly. Uh, it can also lead to over-acidification and it can be quite sour as well, the final cheese. So watch for that. Now, as for lipase, lipase is an enzyme that breaks down the fats within the cheese during maturation. Too much lipase can make your cheese smell a little bit like baby sick or baby vomit. It's like a very, very strong Parmigiano-Reggiano, but even worse than that, if you know what I mean. And the smell is quite off-putting if you put way too much lipase into your milk. So my rule of thumb with calf lipase, which is what I use, uh, and sell is that an eighth of a teaspoon for 10 litres of milk and that's fine and you get a nice if you mature it over say 10 to 12 months like say a Vaccio Romano or a cow's milk Romano and you add lipase to that then you do get a nice rounded flavour a, a slightly spicy flavour piquant is what the Italians call it or picanti which means spicy so uh, yeah by adding lipase you're adding too much then it is very off-putting in the cheese so that's what can happen with uh, most of the ingredients that uh, you would normally add into the cheese uh, same goes for things like if you're adding chili chili flakes to the cheese you will also find if you add too much of that uh, the chili flakes are quite acidic as they are and your cheese will become very crumbly as well. So hopefully that answers your question and thanks very much. And the last question uh, for this episode is question number four. Hi, I've got a very, very basic, very simple, very stupid probably question. I'm very new to cheese making and I've got most of my equipment, but the most confusing part of all the equipment is the mold. 
um, what kind of mold for whatever kind of cheese. <clears throat> like I know, um, like specific cheeses have specific types of molds like the Gouda because you want the shape. But if you don't care about the shape of the Gouda, it doesn't matter what kind of mold you put it in. It doesn't matter how many holes it has as opposed to a basket weave. Um, I think that's the one thing that's really, really catching me. Thank you. Well, thanks, Mina. Uh, that was Mina, by the way. She never said who she was. Uh, lucky I had her email address, so I found out. The I think you're overthinking it. Uh, the basket type for each cheese yes there are traditional shapes of cheeses however it doesn't really affect the the final outcome of the maturation you could make cheddar in a rectangle mold if you wanted to uh, in fact a, a lot of manufacturers now use rectangle shaped molds for cheddar cheese when traditionally they're made in cylindrical shapes uh, same goes for things like feta I've seen feta in small square baskets and that's what I make it in however normal feta is really big it's in a rectangle shape uh, or can be in a rectangle shape and you know really it doesn't matter however you, you can make cheeses as small in, or as large as you want using the same recipe but remembering that the smaller the cheese the faster it's going to ripen and the larger the cheese, the longer it's going to need to mature and get the same sort of flavour. So when it comes down to basket shape or mould shape, uh, the two names are interchangeable, then there's no real rule of thumb. You can do whatever you like as a home cheesemaker. So go for it, Mina. Don't hold back and don't let that stop you from making cheese. So, thanks very much for your question. I really appreciate it. So, thank you for listening to the episode. I know it was... Uh, I thought that the Nottingham Cheese Riot or the Great Cheese Riot was quite unusual. But I dare say food riots, you know, have happened before, but none that I know of that was specifically around cheese making or cheese itself so there you go 1766 big year for cheese <laughs> in the united kingdom anyway don't forget that this podcast is available in video as well as audio both are labeled as little green cheese you can find the podcast audio version on all of the apps so amazon uh, amazon music spotify apple podcasts google podcast i think it's now youtube podcast or soon to be anyway um, and it's in all the places which is fantastic as well as a video version on youtube and you can go and find that at the little green cheese podcast with gavin weber anyway well thanks for listening and watching this week i really appreciate me lending your ears and telling you uh, some cheesy exciting uh, news or history i suppose uh, and answering some lovely listener questions now if you've got any listener questions don't forget that you can do that uh, and the speakpipe link which is the service that i use to record those little messages is in the 
show notes and the description down below. So that's all we got time for this week. You can get your cheese making supplies over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. We have a comprehensive range of products for the home cheese maker. I use all of the products myself in all my home cheese making videos on the Gavin Weber channel. You can also get my two cheese making books. I do have spiral bound versions available at Little Green Workshops and you can pick up the ebook versions as well. We also have two courses, one beginner's course and one blue cheese course over at courses.littlegreenworkshops.com.au. Don't forget you can also pick up some merch over at merch.cheeseman.tv. Well, thanks for watching and listening, curd nerds, and I'll see you next week on the Little Green Cheese Podcast.